Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Senior Salute Radio. Senior Salute Radio is presented by the elder and disability law firm of Victoria L. Collier. Hello, and welcome to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the elder and disability law firm of Victoria L. Collier. I am Victoria, your host. Senior Salute Radio brings timely information to leading age boomers and seniors addressing the issues of aging, caregiving, and maintaining quality of life. Each show, we also salute the life of a senior. And today, we will be speaking about when hospitalization happens. And with us to talk about that, we'll be speaking with Monica Gilbert, counselor at Georgia Cares, and Victoria Archibald, President of Care Patrol of Metro Atlanta. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. Absolutely. So, Monica, at um, Georgia Cares, you really deal with the Medicare programs, correct? That is correct. And when we're talking about hospitalization, that's the primary way to pay for hospitalization. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Now, you know... When I look at the Medicare programs, I see Medicare A, B, D, C, J, K. You know, I mean, I feel like I'm doing the alphabet with my four-year-old twins. <laughs> so, you know, give us some light on what the different kind of programs are and specifically which is the one that helps cover the hospital expenses. I agree with you. I call it alphabet soup. <laughs> I do. I just do because Medicare has four primary parts. I call them the moving parts. Part A, Part B, Part C, and Part D. Part A is the portion that focuses mainly with hospital insurance, and it pays for care within the hospital. Services such as a semi-private room, meals, or just general nursing is what Part A takes care of. When you talk about Part B, that's the doctor's services, and that's how the doctors get paid. Part C are the Medicare Advantage plans. They are private insurance companies that have contracted with Medicare to offer Medicare benefits, and they can include drug coverage. The other part, Part D, prescription drug standalone. Those prescription drug plans work with original Medicare to ensure that a person has a way of getting their medicines at the drugstore. Which right there alone is one part that's confusing is Part C includes drugs. But then we also have the whole Part D, which is the drug program. Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly, yes. And the, the Part D is the standalone portion of it that can work with original Medicare um, as a standalone because original Medicare, the AMB represented on the card, does not cover prescription drug. Okay, so when you say original Medicare, you're talking about the A and the B. And the red, white, and blue, yes. Okay. Your A and the B, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I pe ask for people for um, – their social security number, they always pull out the red, white, and blue yes, <laughs> instead exactly. of their actually instead of their actual social social security. Yes, <laughs> um, and so you know who is eligible for Part A, the hospital um, coverage? Anyone that is sixty five years or older, or anyone under sixty five and been declared disabled by Social Security, can qualify for Medicare. Part A, and anyone with end-stage renal disease can also qualify for Part A. And so for Part A, you said somebody who's over the age of 65 or under if they're disabled and then the renal care, do they have to have had a work history and pay into Social Security or 
Well, when it comes to the premium side of it, um, a working history with Social Security will allow a person not to pay a premium. If a person has worked 40 quarters and not and paid FICA taxes, then they don't have a premium with Medicare Part A. So it's very important that you pay those FICA taxes because you appreciate it later on when <laughs> Medicare becomes eligible for you. But if you've worked 30 less than 30 quarters in 2014, you're paying $426 a month for a Medicare premium Part A. Wow. And if you're working between, have worked 30 to 39 working quarters, you pay $234 a month in 2014. So it's very expensive, that Part A premium, if you have not paid your FICA taxes within um, with that 40 quarters. And that's so important for people to know that, A, you still can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't say B because I don't want to confuse people with Medicare B. But uh, Exactly, yes. <laughs> but one of the things that comes up mm-hmm. for me in my practice is when someone is taking care of their parents and they stop working and then they don't pay into the system for a while, or, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe ever again that they may have stopped short of those 40 quarters to take care of a spouse or a, you know, um, a parent. Mm -hmm. And there's more to it than, you know, just having a job. So we advise people regularly that if you're going to be taking care of not a spouse, but a parent, Mm -hmm. then it may still be beneficial to be paid as a caregiver and actually pay into the FICA taxes that you're talking about so you can get this kind of coverage. Exactly, because as you can see, if you don't pay into those FICA, FICA taxes, you can pay hefty, hefty a, um, Part A premiums when you become Medicare eligible. Is there an option to be uninsured for Medicare A? Hospital insurance? You can be, but <laughs> you don't recommend not, it. <laughs> no, I don't recommend it. No, not at those prices, no. And... So let's just talk about Medicare B for a second. Um, Medicare B also has a Mm copayment. But that one, whether you've paid into the system or not, you actually have a premium that comes out of your Social Security check or you have to pay it directly. Is that correct? Exactly, yes. Medicare Part B is not optional. You do have to pay that particular premium. And this um, the the minimum amount that one can pay for 2014 is $104.90. So, yes, you do have to pay it. And there there are um, programs out there that can assist people who do not have monies to pay it, but it's based on income if you can qualify for that assistance, and that would be through your state agencies like Department of Family and Children's Services. Through some of the Medicaid programs to help offset that premium. Exactly. We are listening to Monica Gilbert, counselor at Georgia Cares, who is an expert on the Medicare A and other Medicare programs. And we are talking about when hospitalization happens, how do we pay for that? And what are other services that are necessary when that happens? And so, Monica, you know, I hear all the time that uh, when I'm trying to provide guidance and advice to people about paying for long-term care, Mm -hmm. I get... Oh, that's covered. 
long-term care is covered because I've got Medicare. And not only do often the people who have Medicare believe that, but their children as well. And so what does that you know mean? And is that true? It's covered for long-term care. No, that is not a true statement. And a lot of people do think that Medicare covers long-term care, but it is not. When it comes to long-term care, people have to look at long-term care insurance or the possibilities of getting their care through Medicaid. Or pay privately. Or pay privately. spend down or live long enough to where they have nothing else. Exactly. (laughs) That is so true, yes. Okay. And so long-term care, define that first so we even know what we're talking about, long-term care, if you could, so then we can make the distinguish between that and then what does Medicare A pay for if it's not long-term care? Well, long-term care is basically your care out maybe in a nursing home or that type setting. When you're looking at it as opposed to Part A, Part A is basically focusing inpatient or house hospital coverage. Part A, the deductible that's associated with it for 2014 is $1,216. And when you think about deductibles for Part A, it's based on a 60-day period of staying in a hospital. So the benefit period for the Part A the first part of it starts when a person first in, is admitted into the hospital, then it ends when they have been out of the hospital for 60 days. So let's go through this real quick. So I go in the hospital, mm-hmm. and I'm covered under Medicare Part A. Yes. And it doesn't matter how long I stay if I need to stay in the hospital. Is that correct? The six, It's based on a 60-day benefit period, okay. and there can be a number of 60-day benefit periods in a year. So the 60-day stay is $1,216. If you stay past that amount, then you're looking at additional co-pays. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. then if I leave and then I come back, I have another deductible. If you come back within the 60 days, you are under that same first deductible. deductible. But if you come back after that 60 days and you're looking at another deductible period. I'm always curious about that kind of stuff. And as an elder care attorney, we really focus more on Medicaid. We focus on veterans benefits and private pay. Mm-hmm. Not so much the Medicare piece because we feel like, like most of our clients, it's covered. Exactly. Um, and even when my dad... In January, well, in December of 2012 and then January of 2013, he was in and out of the hospital three times in two mm-hmm. months. And, you know, part of me, the the inside little part of me is like, I hope this is covered. The outside part of me is like, this is fine, you know, because Medicare A must be covering it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of those, what you're saying is because they were all within two months of each other, uh, we're all covered under the same deductible before. Exactly, exactly. And then if a person stays in past those 60 days, then they're looking at co-pays. For example, if they stay 61 to 90 days, they're looking at paying $304 a day. A day. A day. And that's not covered under like the Medicare B or any other? No, it is not. Okay. That's part A. Okay. And can people have private insurance that covers those co-pays? Private interns. Insurance. Private insurance that covers those part, the the deduct, the co-pays. Well, they can get a supplement to go with original Medicare. It's called a Medigap. It fills the gaps of Medicare, whether it's a hospital stays or Part B. But there's an additional premium for those Medigaps. But certainly that is an option for persons with original Medicare to pay whatever Medicare does not pay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you were talking about before that when you leave the hospital, 
uh, sometimes people may have to go into a skilled nursing facility for like rehab and things like that. Mm-hmm. How does one qualify for skilled nursing care? And is that covered under A or B or how's that covered? Yes, skilled nursing is covered under Part A. And a person has to qualify, meet certain criteria before they can be um, under skilled nursing. Some of the qualifications is that they have to need skilled services, such as physical therapy or occupational therapy. They have to be inpatient in a hospital for at least three consecutive days, and they have to be admitted into the skilled nursing facility within 30 days after leaving the hospital, and the skilled nursing facility must be Medicare certified. So let's talk about a few of those things you mentioned. Okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) One is they have to be in a hospital, admitted to a hospital for three days Mm -hmm. before going to the skilled nursing facility. Exactly. Now, there's two things I want to ask you about that to the extent that you, you know, can can comment. Um, And one is it feels, at least over the last five years, that hospitals are trying to rush people out before that third day. So at two days, they're out of here. So that they then don't go on to get rehab care. Is, has that At Georgia Cares, have y'all seen a trend of that kind? Well, Victoria, we don't really get into that piece of it. We have another part of our agency, um, well, really Medicare, would be the ones that probably that question could be asked of or, you know, other parts of um, AgeWise Connection because our basic focus is just to help people to get in um, the services that they might qualify for A and B as to as far as paying premiums and things like that. Help them enroll, so yes. be educated, help them enroll. Exactly. That's okay. the portion that we really concern ourselves with, and I really can't answer that question okay. for you. So mm-hmm. then I'll just bring up to others. I'm not asking for a question here, but um, others is the other trend that we've seen is that they may go in and they may even stay three days, but they're under observation mode instead of truly admitted under what would qualify under Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being potential trends, um, is there any kind of education or advice that people can get on how to make sure they're actually under a Medicare qualifying stay at the hospital versus an observation um, stay? Well, it's based on the way that that is written, um, when the doctor, if the doctor says that you're admitted into the hospital, then that would be the start of your benefit period as they stay in the hospital. But if it's just observation, then it is noted as that, an observation. And so they should just be asking when they go in which way they're being admitted. Exactly, okay. exactly. We are talking about when hospitalization happens and how to pay for it. And Monica Gilbert is sharing with us information about the Medicare A program. And so, Monica, you know, I have some clients that say that um, they are getting home health care services and that it's being all paid for through Medicare A, I think, or just Medicare is what they say. And, um, you know, some of them say that they've been having it for a year or two, and that just seems so wonderful, but also unusual to me. So can you explain to us the home health care services part of Medicare? Okay, home health care is under Part A, and the doctor has to put a plan together for you for home health care. And you have to have specific skilled service needs like physical therapy or occupational therapy, 
you must be homebound. That means that you can leave the home, but it's challenging for you to do so. You may need a cane or a wheelchair to move about. So but they're not just driving all over the place, not going just to driving. parties and dancing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not just all over the place. And really, the skilled nursing takes place in a facility, whereas home health care takes care of those same qualifications or services, but it's just taking care of at the, at the home. And the home health agency must be certified from Medicare in order to provide that service to someone with home health care. And so when they're getting that level of care, the skilled care that they need, does the program also help cover then the like homemaker services? Because often when we need physical therapy or occupational therapy, we can't keep our house in order. No, Medicare Part A does not pay for homemaker services, basically for the skilled part of it. And the homemaker services would be on the beneficiary to pay for those type of services. Medicare does not pay for that. Okay. And then the last um, type of service I want to talk about that is covered by Medicare is hospice care. When is that covered and under what programs would that be covered? Hospice care is basically focusing on terminally ill persons and their families. And if a person's probable expectancy of life is six months or less, then they can qualify for hospice. The doctor must certify the period of care and the hospice must be provided through a Medicare-approved agency. So those are the criteria for someone who can qualify for hospice care. And is there any cost for that? There, the only cost it is would be for $5 copay for hospice medications. That's the most that a person would pay. And then if they have in, in, inpatient respite care, then they would only have to pay a 5% of the coinsurance for that service. Yeah. Hospice is, in my opinion, just one of the best services anyone could ever ask for when they get to the end of life. Yes, it is. And even beyond six months, if they continue to live, they are recertified if, if there's still that qualification there. But my dad went on hospice care, much to his chagrin. He did not want it. Um, and many people don't because they feel like it's an intrusion. Right. But I finally begged him. I said, Dad, this isn't for you. It's for us. Yes, <laughs> you exactly. know? And um, But they provided his oxygen. They provided um, his medication and um, and certainly the care as well. So I definitely recommend that. And I tell people all the time, it's free. You know, why not have an extra set of eyes and hands um, looking at the situation here? So so when is um, when can people enroll into Medicare? Is it at any time that they want to? Well, when it comes to enrolling into Medicare, it's six months before your birthday, the month of, and six months after. And that takes place takes place for Social Security. A lot of people think that you call Medicare to enroll into um, Medicare, but it is Social Security. So it's six months before you turn 65 mm-hmm. and six months after you turn 65 within that 12-month window. No, it's six months before the month of, and I'm sorry, three months before the month of and three months after okay. your 65th so birthday. So a window of six yes, months. Yes, yes. And you call, Medi- you call Social, Social Security, Security to enroll, yes. not Medicare. Not Medicare, exactly. Okay, and so when someone calls to enroll and they are getting those booklets that say Medicare and you, um, and they seem like they're really good booklets, although I haven't 
in a long time sat down from beginning to end. Um, anyone can get those who's going on Medicare, right? They certainly can, and they are. It, it's a wealth of information in there, but trying to maneuver through it is difficult. So that's why Georgia Cares is available to help with that. I was about to say, you know, it is a wealth of information, but why do people still have so many questions? Why do I, as a lawyer, still have so many questions? <laughs> because it's a difficult process. I sit at my desk every day and I learn something new about Medicare, just constantly learning something new. So we can help to maneuver through it, though. And Monica, how can people contact Georgia Cares to get more information? Our contact number is 1-866-552-4464, option number four, or on the web, www.mygeorgiacares.org. Thank you so much, Monica, for sharing all that wonderful information. Thank you. I know I've learned a thing or two, but if I sat next to you, maybe I'd learn something every day. (laughs) (laughs) You are listening to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the Elder and Disability Law Firm of Victoria L. Collier. And now we are going to be talking with Victoria Archibald, speaking about care patrols of Metro Atlanta, post-discharge care, and preventing readmission. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you. You've got a beautiful name. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about Care Patrol, first of all, and what kind of business is that? Yes. Well, Care Patrol was established 20 years ago by a social worker, Chuck Bongiovanni. Um, Chuck was asked to help a client who had been improperly placed uh, in a nursing facility by her daughter. Uh, The daughter did not know that there were other options for her mom. And so Chuck was brought in and and assessed the situation and found the correct care option for the mother. Today, there are over 120 care patrol offices throughout the United States, and there are two offices here in the greater Atlanta area. Um, We help families find assisted living, independent living, memory care, and in-home care. Okay. And how do you, you, you mentioned that the owner, the original owner helped with someone who was inappropriately placed. Mm-hmm. How do you do an assessment as to what would be the appropriate environment, whether that be in-home, independent living, mm-hmm. assisted living, or memory care? Excellent question, Victoria. Um, what happens is um, when we receive a referral or a lead, um, we contact either the patient or the family member, and we sit down and we do what we call a care discovery or a needs assessment. And during that process, we're looking to find out what the level of care needs are for that particular individual. Uh, We're also determining the person's financial resources. We're determining if the person has certain geographical preferences. If they live in uh, Lilburn, Um, we're not going to try to find them a community in Stockbridge. Um, So we're going to try to... Speaking of that, not to cut you off, but to cut you off, I actually did meet with a family the other day that was way out in Monroe Mm -hmm. and was using a hospice company way down in, like somewhere not even close, like Mm -hmm. McDonough or something. Mm -hmm. And it was just a horrible situation because the travel just for the caregivers alone just made it horrible. Absolutely. So we're taking all of that information from the patient, from the client, and we're looking across our network of providers, you know, 70 to 100 network of providers, and we're coming up with the best three or four uh, options 
for the client. So you sit down with the client. Absolutely. So this is not where somebody just calls in and says, this is my budget, this is where I want to live, and you just fax them or email no. them a list of places. Absol- you sit down with them. Absolutely not. Our mission is to provide the safest care options for seniors across America. And we really feel like to do that, we need to build a relationship with not only the senior, but with their families. Um, There are times when we have to do the care discovery over the phone, but oftentimes, more times than not, we are sitting down face to face. Um, The other important thing that we do is once we've determined those, the best three or four options, we actually tour the client and or the client's family to those communities. Um, we've already visited those communities ourselves. We've also reviewed the care and the violation history of those communities. So we want to make sure that we're placing those seniors in a safe environment. I was going to ask you how you choose the network in which to refer because mm-hmm. there's, you know, a ton of yes. them out there. Yes. And most of them are, are average to good. Mm-hmm. You know, some are great. Mm-hmm. And some just are horrible. horrible. Um, and yes. some being closed down every day by the state, fortunately. Yes. Yes. So how do you mm-hmm. choose your network? Well, we, we actually go in and we meet with the um, staff, uh, with the management or with the owner, if it's a small residential board and care. And we tour ourselves um, through the community. We, uh, we also review the state surveys. Um, so we know if, if that particular community has been cited for certain violations. We particularly pay attention to things like medication errors, uh, substantiated com- uh, complaints. And if we feel that through those, um, s- that survey, and if those issues have not been addressed and corrected, then we would probably not tour our clients to that particular community. And do you also either call or encourage the client to call the ombudsman to find out if there's been any um, other reports through the state mm-hmm. ombudsman? Absolutely, absolutely. We stay with our clients throughout the whole process. I mean, part of what we're doing is we're there to be an advocate and to provide education to the family about the process. Uh, about the community. And so we're not only uh, placing them and walking away, but we're actually following up after they've moved in to make sure that they've adjusted to the community. And if there are issues, we encourage the families to either call the ombudsman, call Adult Protective Services, to call us, um, because we are we are there. We're there to be the advocate for the families. Sounds wonderful, and it sounds like you know you do so much. Um, what is the training you've received mm-hmm. to do this kind of work? Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very good question. We are trained as certified senior advisors. And that training helps us to understand the uh, physical, psychological, emotional, uh, environmental, and financial aspects of aging in America. Um, That credentialing is provided by a nationally accredited organization called the Society of Certified Senior Advisors. And isn't that like a 40 hours in the classroom training? Absolutely. That Mm -hmm. is exactly right. Plus another 40 hours or more prior to the classroom uh, training. And we are required to maintain our continuing education credits through the society, as well as uh, we are governed by a very stringent uh, code of ethics as members of the society. Now, you are the president of Care Patrol of Metro Atlanta. Mm -hmm. How did you choose to get involved in this Mm -hmm. type of business? Um, I had spent um, 
a number of years, uh, my background prior to um, purchasing my franchise in Care Patrol was in construction. In and construction? In construction. Did you know I, that I used to be a carpenter in the Air Force? No, I yes, did not know that. a carpenter and a mason, that's right. Well, I owned a, I owned a millwork manufacturing company. Ah, uh, okay. Did a lot of commercial millwork projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then actually prior to that, I spent about 20 years working in sales and marketing in the consumer products industry. Um, now, while I enjoyed the work uh, from my previous careers, I also felt there was something missing, um, something more meaningful that I should be doing. And when I discovered Care Patrol and understood the mission of the organization and the kind of impact we have on families um, who are frankly struggling to make the right decisions for their loved ones, I knew I had found my purpose. And um, besides that, I have elderly parents who are reaching um, that point in their lives when we as a family are having to have those discussions. Um, And in fact, several months ago, I helped uh, my sister's in-law find a place in the Chicago area by putting her in touch with our office there in Chicago. And her mother-in-law simply loves her new home. And it's, it's, it's very ref- um, rewarding work for me um, when we're able to help families. And what a resource to have you in your own family for others. Absolutely. <laughs> you are listening to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the Elder and Disability Law Firm of Victoria L. Collier. And we are speaking with Victoria Archibald, president of Care Patrol of Metro Atlanta. And so... Speaking of Metro Atlanta, what geographical areas do you cover? My territory includes uh, a, a large chunk of Fulton, Gwinnett, and DeKalb counties. Um, however, I work closely with my partner who is in the Northeast Fulton and Cobb counties. Um, when I have a client who is looking for care in those areas, which is outside of my direct territory, um, Mark and I, uh, you know, we consult and we work as a team together. So basically inside the perimeter is what I'm hearing. Inside of the perimeter, but I also cover Gwinnett. And Gwinnett as well. Yes. Great, because we're in Gwinnett as well. We're in Gwinnett. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'm sure that the other business owners listening to this will want to contact you. Absolutely. Um, Now, you heard Monica talking about hospital admissions Mm -hmm. and Medicare A and how to pay for it and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things she said is, you know, there's a deductible if you come in and go out and when do you have to pay another one and when you don't one of the biggest goals i think of the healthcare industry as well as people on a personal level is not to be readmitted and so can you explain issues around hospital readmissions and how your company helps to minimize mm-hmm. that from happening So glad you asked that question, Victoria. Um, As you know, President Obama signed into law what has been referred to as Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. Affectionately referred to. Affectionately (laughs) referred to. Um, So part of that law was to increase Medicaid enrollment for folks without health insurance due to their income. Um, And that's the part, you know, that, that has been discussed ad nauseum in the media The part that has not been uh, discussed as much in the public domain is the part of the law which is meant to reduce Medicare program spending. Now, um, there's a report that was published by the Robert Woods Foundation that indicated that one in eight Medicare patients were readmitted to the hospital within 30 days of being uh, released after surgery in 2010, 
while one in six patients return to the hospital within a month after receiving medical care. This report notes that while some readmissions are planned parts of a patient's treatment, many readmissions can be avoided and occur because of differences in patient health status, the quality of inpatient care, discharge planning, and care coordination. So according to this report, what is needed to both save money and improve the quality of care is better coordination of patient transfers among care sites, along with collaborative support services, services within the community. The term care uh, transition describes a continuous process in which a patient's care shifts from being provided in one setting of care to another, such as from a hospital to a patient's home or to a skilled nursing facility and then sometimes back to the hospital. So poorly managed transitions can diminish the health of the patient and increase costs. Researchers have estimated that inadequate care coordination, including inadequate management of care transitions, was responsible for 25 to 45 billion, that's billion with a B, <laughs> in wasteful spending in 2011, through avoidable complications and unnecessary hospital readmissions. Mm. Under the Affordable Care Act, the old fee-for-service model is being tossed in exchange for a program that will motivate providers across care settings to work as a team to make transitions smoother. So that's where Care Patrol comes in. Absolutely. After we, first of all, try to get out of that trend of if they didn't discharge them so quickly to avoid that three-day hospital stay <laughs> and then they treated them properly and then had a smooth transition and so that's what then you if you know when somebody's at the hospital so this would be a great point for people who are listening to know is when do we call care patrol mm -hmm. um and this sounds like it's a crisis call which is when mm -hmm. people usually call anyways in a crisis absolutely would it be while they're in the hospital so you can help with that transition sure. out versus sure. they've transitioned and now what do we do? Absolutely. Okay. Actually, it would, it would help uh, to start even, even sooner than that. Um, what, we, you know, what we would like to tell our listen, the listeners are start to put a plan in place right now. Before you go to the hospital. But I'm never going to need to go to the hospital. <laughs> Why would I plan now for that? <laughs> it would be amazing if that were true, but we all know that that is uh, more than likely not true. Um, what we can do at Care Patrol if someone is either in the hospital or about to go into the hospital or in a nursing home or about to, co in, about to come out of a nursing home is we can really help to be uh, recommend options that can become part of the continuum of care. Um, there, you know, the sort of traditional model is someone goes from home into the hospital, from the hospital into a skilled nursing facility or home. For rehab and then back home generally. Right. Yeah. If they need rehab, they go into a skilled nursing. If not, they go home. And oftentimes there's home health that will come in if they go home to help them with either um, rehab or other um, areas. And what we are recommending is that um, 
doctors start to look at uh, including assisted living, uh, even if it's a respite stay, if it's right. a short-term stay, uh, as part of that continuum of Versus care. Versus going home where there's very little supervision and oversight. Exactly. You are listening to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the Elder and Disability Law Firm of Victoria L. Collier, and we're speaking with Victoria Archibald from Care Patrol of Metro Atlanta. Well, it sounds like that while you don't provide the care, Mm -hmm. you're part of the care team. Exactly. And should be looked at that way. Exactly. And if you're part of the care team, then it just helps, no matter where they are or where they're going or coming from, that this transition is going to be smoother because you're educated on what questions to ask, how to assess their situation, and then get the resources in place for them. That is exactly right. Great. So how can people get in touch with you at Care Patrol so that they can make sure their transition is smooth? Absolutely. Uh, They can call me at 404-583-1231 or visit our website, www.carepatrol.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Victoria. And I appreciate having both Monica and Victoria on the show. But now we're going to switch to my favorite part of the show. And this is the special moment where we salute a senior. And today we are saluting Julius Rainwater. And Julius Rainwater is an author and he is a veteran. And the name of his book is Kiss Me, Soldier Boy. And Kiss Me, Soldier Boy is about America's beginning to now, the exciting rainwater adventures in America's wars as freedom survives through these centuries. In happiness and in sadness, this family struggles as ordinary people with sons protecting America's freedom. It is told as remembered and passed on from generation to generation. And essentially, Julius Rainwater's entire family of the generations had someone in all of the wars beginning with, I'm not sure beginning with which war, um, but I think World War One, And Julius himself is from a large Southern family. He was born in 1925. He spent his childhood days during the Great Depression years. Julius's service to our country in the 3922nd Company of the U.S. Army Signal Corps during World War II qualifies him to tell this war story. Julius received his discharge from the Army in January of 1946. He now resides in Conyers, Georgia, with his lovely wife, Gloria Welch Rainwater, who has, since he wrote this book in 2011, has passed away. Um, He completed his studies at Georgia Tech in three years, receiving a BSEE degree in electrical engineering, and most of Julius's career has been in the engineering fields. Several technical papers he authored have been published in leading technical journals as well. And I've read this book, and it's touching. It's essentially narrated from a grandfather teaching his grandson through just you know, how grandchildren and their grandfather spend time together anyway. And the grandson is asking lots of questions of granddad about his time in the war. And then it goes through the story where the grandson goes to um, the Iraq-Afghanistan wars. And so it goes through those generations. And I just want to leave this dedication and this honor for Julius Rainwater by reading his dedication to his book, Kiss Me, Soldier Boy, which can be found on Amazon.com. And that is, 
He has dedicated this book in memory of the author's grandson, David William Rainwater, who loved to try on my old World War uniform and to listen to my war stories as a young boy. History is David's first love. Sadly, he was killed in an automobile accident at age 18. I recommend everyone, especially those who love military history, to get this fictionalized version of Julius Rainwater's real story and share it with the other members of your family. You have been listening to Senior Salute, which airs at 3 o'clock on Fridays, and by visiting SeniorSalute.BusinessRadioX.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. I want to thank our guests and our listeners. We salute you. <laughs>